So yeah, I'm waiting for someone to, to call bullshit on all of that. But apparently it's all true. It's mainly because my father was disgusted with it. And that made me so happy. I think you have to have a little bit of fear, a little bit of anxiety and have something that keeps it challenging. Otherwise, why bother? <laughs> Welcome to The Impostress. The Impostress is hosted by me, Michael Knox, and Graham Drew, two rather insecure frauds who will be exploring the motivating and debilitating experiences we all have with imposter syndrome, with a sneaky suspicion that it might just be your superpower if you let it. I think it's important to be a little bit scared or have a little bit of fear of what we're doing. I can be your regular therapist if you like. <laughs> Hello, Nils. Hey, how's it going, Michael? You all right? All right, great. I'm good. Oh, hello, mate. We are exploring the idea of imposter syndrome amongst creatives and whether we're all just um, waiting to be found out. And I just wanted to like start this by saying congratulations to you because I, you know, I think of you as, um, I guess, my slightly younger, much better looking, wildly more successful half brother. <laughs> that I never uh, had, <laughs> whose name I drop in conversations and people have no idea what I'm talking about. But obviously you've just won um, Creative Circle, most creative agency for the second year in a row. You were Campaign Magazine's Agency of the Year. But Marcus um, Rashford, Google Spot's just gone to air, which is a monster, you know, your ITV work, you know, at, on all different levels of, you know, Get Britain Talking, however that actually is. The B&Q work, and it's funny, I'm going to tell you that the B&Q work is kind of referred to now in, amongst hardware brands and paint manufacturers as like this benchmark of, of, of work. And then the scent of normality, which I, you, you know I like the idea of being enveloped in a fog of reconditioned, recirculated air. So what we say on this show, what we plan to say at the end of every kind of session that we have with people is that you are creative, you are loved, and you belong, but I don't think you want to belong. I, I get the feeling that you like the idea of kind of pushing yourself off into some kind of alienation and letting <laughs> letting everyone else catch up. Would that be correct? Um, well, first of all, thank you for that. And, and you know, it's a real joy to be speaking to you again, Michael. And um, <clears throat> this subject matter is, is a really interesting one. I think. Look, I, I, um, I spent years as a designer and so I spent years at what I call like below stairs, you know, and in the ad industry, if you were a designer, particularly a while ago, you just basically weren't as important as other creatives or as other disciplines, you know. And so I kind of spent years caring very deeply about what I did, but ultimately feeling like somehow I just still, whatever I did wasn't quite as important or quite as cool or quite as respected as some other people. And I would arguably say that some of those other people were people being honest that that didn't work as hard that didn't want it as much and and weren't as clever right so it's just calling it okay and I think we've all been in a place like that where people like that are, are being rewarded and celebrated and you're like what the fuck is going on the reason I explain that is um you know I don't want to be like everyone else but maybe because I spent years looking at the seventh floor at Abbott Mead or the you know creative sending me emails going you know chain of command literally that happened once kind of going, you know what, I don't want to be as good as you. I want to be far better than you. I want to fucking eclipse you, man. I want to make you look like a fucking dinosaur. So, uh, you know, the, ven the venom is real. <laughs> so it was, it, was, um, it was a lot of that. And I, so, so weirdly, I, I, I don't know, you know, and I'm going to poke at this a little bit, Michael. I'm not sure how many creatives really want to belong full stop. I think it's a lovely sentiment, mm. what you're saying. 
you know you have a place in the world yeah you know and you and you and you know you are loved i think is fucking great but i don't know how many of us really do want to belong you know in this discipline i think we want to shine you know and i, I think we want to make a difference it, it dawned on me you remember those years at gray i used to try and keep all my creatives all the good ones and i would be obsessed with paying them you know getting them the right money i realized it's never about money with creatives we want to be prolific we want to make work the biggest reason you will leave a company is if you're not making and I was like, Jesus, okay, that tells you everything about our mindset that we would put that before everything else. We want to impact upon the world, right? You know, do you think do you think that making is proving? Is that is that making kind of to, to continually keep proving that you can make? Yeah, I think so. That you can impact upon the world, that you matter for a brief second, that all this energy and effort and and stuff that we feel, you know, keeping us awake at night is actually of some importance, is is really you know, important to us all. I think we do want to impact on the world. And I think when you make something, you see it out there. You you have, and maybe you still do have this belief that, you know, or or this connection to the idea that sometimes you feel like giving up, but there are um, a lot of motherfuckers to prove wrong. I'm interested in that list of motherfuckers to prove wrong. How is it going? <laughs> it's a long list, Michael. It's a long fucking list. Yeah. Any names crossed off? People who work with you with me will will tell you, um, it, right or wrong, man. This is a subject matter in my life. There's another quote. I think it's Sunsi. He says, "Sit by the river and you know long enough, and the body of your enemy will float by." And what he means is, do your thing. Don't worry about revenge. Don't focus on them. Fucking smash it, and you will watch them float by. It'll happen, right? And um, I know the subject matter of revenge is whatever negative and all that, all of the above. But I I have some characters in my life who didn't want me to win. Man. You know, just saying it like there's so much talk of collaboration and fucking all this stuff, but there's a bunch of people in the world who just don't want to see you win for one reason or another. They just want to see you not happen and 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 keep you where you are. And um, yeah, I, that those people were in my sights. I think some companies I recall conversations. You know, and and when you're starting a company and it's all on your own money and you've got no clients, that's scary stuff. So those words ring in your ears. So I think I saw you the night before that happened. I think you gave me some good advice, which was you've had a good year, you should go home. <laughs> I, I remember that. But, yeah. <laughs> Wise. People tell you to go home all the time, though, Michael. <laughs> so, look, Nils, right, this, this thing's all about imposter syndrome. And when we asked you, and thank you so much for saying yes, to anyone who's got Google, or anyone that reads anything, you seem the least likely person to have imposter syndrome because by most metrics, you are smashing it. You know, you've managed to concoct this incredible um, company that just has this amazing hit rate. When was the last time you actually felt like a fraud? Yeah, it's a great question. I'm going to be really honest. I've never felt like a fraud. I've always felt like a con man. And I know there's a slight difference there. Yeah. But one is one is winning and one has been found out. But I've taught myself into believing and been proven a bit by it. And this is going to sound a bit spiritual, but I don't think enough of us see ourselves winning and, and, and really see it, really fucking picture it. And I'm going to make that happen somehow. So so I've when we started on Common, way back at Grey, man, I got the ECD job campaign. You remember Michael published this? DPS about basically he was like who the fuck is this yeah you know this, this <laughs> designer he's about 14 years old you know and I remember reading I thinking okay well if that's what the real world thinks all I've got is what I conjure for myself 
You know, the Gilbert and George uh, phrase, make the world to believe in you and to pay heavily for the privilege. I love that. You know, and, and I think the only way you do that is you have a vision of yourself mattering in the world and, and you play it. So Graham, I, I like, sounds awful, but I, you know, when I looked at it, I was like, no, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna go with this. I'm gonna pretend that I am that person and try to make that work. You know, when we told ourselves the, the story of Uncommon, we made up this thing, which is believing that, you know, some brands could matter and building brands that people wish existed and all the above. But that's fiction, dude, that's a story. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and before we made some work, it was literally just words. Um, and it dawned on me that all we have as creatives is our way of seeing the world. We don't have mechanics or data or tools. So I, you know, sorry, the reason I'm saying all that is that I think part of our skill is, is to recognize that vulnerability, but honestly, tell yourself, see yourself in the world, picture the person you wish you were in that room and fucking run with it until they, until you literally can't. That's an amazing Not thing even. to say, right? And then you say con artists rather than fraud. And con artists is yeah. all about confidence, right? Confidence tricks yeah. you. Yeah, you okay. believe something yeah. enough, then you can get other people to believe it. But, and you know, one of the best pieces of advice I got when I first got an ECG job was fake it till you make it, you know? And it's true. Yeah. It is true. And, you know, and that as you get along, you realize actually most of the people don't really know what they're doing, but they've got enough of a front to finally get there. But getting that confidence, yeah. That's easier said than done, though, right? It, it, it is, it is. But maybe maybe believing in yourself is the thing, right? I'm like, what do I believe in myself? That's a massive statement. I can believe in a future that hasn't happened yet, though. I can believe in a moment that, that hasn't happened. I, I spoke to um, Simon Pegg, the, the sort of actor and the screenwriter the other day. I was lucky enough to talk to him. This is a guy who literally grew up with Star Wars posters on his wall mm. and, has now, and has now written one, right? It yeah. can fucking ha- it can happen, mm. man. It can yeah. happen. So I'm sort of going, never mind believing yourself. I don't really know what that means. But I do believe in a meet. you know, Graham, maybe the right way to think about that is picture yourself in a meeting room with a bunch of great people, having steered some work, watching something play back, and imagine that that was you and you'd done that and you'd guided it and you're all very proud. Picture that. That, that, that can happen. You know, and I'm like, that, that's sort of what I'm about, really, and trying to give others that. This sense of energy is, is is contagious. The energy of fear is also contagious. Yes. You know, if you go in a room and you're you're not sure and you're doubting yourself, that that's also contagious. Um, so is that a lot I about you playing it to? What, what is this at its best? Is that about yeah. you kind of picturing what every every moment and mm. just every moment is a chance to make something the best it could possibly be, and you are on that path already. So all you got, you're going, man. It's like it's like you're going. All you've got to choose now is which way you want to push it and how much of a role you want to play in it. You know, so don't stand there looking at yourself in the fucking mirror. You know, I, do, I just don't just picture the moment, picture the impact. And you were saying um, only now you're slightly allowing yourself four years on after all you've done to kind of go, actually, maybe Uncommon could be a thing. Maybe just now. And it, it is, is so much of like sort of competing against that um, imposterism is just kind of allowing yourself to just congratulate yourself a little bit. I mean, when we we don't like talking about awards much, but it's part of our industry. And I think one of the interesting things when you're in Cannes and you talk to people, the overriding emotion that people have is relief, right? It's not celebration really. It is a bit afterwards, but when you, when you get it or you get a message, it's like, Oh God, it's not, yay. It's relief. Right. And that's a big part of why our industry is so fundamentally fucked. I think is that you don't enjoy it. You just get relieved that at this time you didn't fuck up, but then you've got next year. 
you're right awards are one version of it and you're right i love that that insight around relief i don't know what that's about i don't think that's a relief that they didn't fuck up i think that's a relief that their dream actually happened it's like a it's like a, a reaffirmation of hope oh god yeah good things can happen but i i kind of um i kept the first slate from you know the clapperboard from our ovo commercial that we made the very first bit of work we made you've got to collect the evidence of your progress you know i, I think it's really important to do that and that can't just be about awards by the way evidence that you map that you mattered is is huge and i don't think that can just be awards you've got to have your own benchmarks for that i think if you can and do you think that um do you think that sense of belief is contagious amongst well, particularly now you know you're potentially back in the one studio the one in environment because i wonder about that whole the the founder walking around the per, the people that own the business are walking around does that kind of breed some imposterism feelings amongst the people you work with oh, yeah. or is that sense of belief more contagious i think well absolutely you can and i also think you can spread it in the industry man and one of the things i've been most affirmed by or make me the happiest i was at a ad week thing the other morning and someone said you guys make us believe it's all going to be all right and i was like fucking hell what a thing to say what a thing to say you know i was like jesus christ like you couldn't have thought for that so i, I think you can look man i think that's that's a question about leadership which is there's a there's a fine line between the ferocity of ambition and all of that other stuff and actually just terrifying people to the point where they're just not good enough you know, and I think we tread that very carefully. We tread that line, you know, the very high standards here. We work very fast. You know, everyone knows the level. There is a sense of fear around, you know, not making a bad bit of work here. You know, I would argue we haven't made a bad bit of work. You might not like it all. That's fine. But we haven't made a bad bit of work, right? Like, and I think that's um, that's a bit of a bar. So I think there's a terror there. It sounds, I mean, it's it's crazy inspirational, the things that you're saying. And I can see how you could inspire people with that. Um, but at the same time, it's a really high bar, isn't it, that you're setting? Yeah. And that in itself, even though it's a positive pressure, it's still a real pressure, isn't it? Because yeah, the pressure of success is like onto the next one, onto the next one. Every, you know, it's never we're done. It just makes it harder and harder. How do you how do you sort of infect that positivity in that around imposter with your team? there'll always be a sense of imposter syndrome and I'll talk to that in a minute but but the first thing to just say out loud is you know the bar is very very fucking high we hire really really good people and as a result everyone chases it at a level no matter what level you are I think it's really important to to properly hold up benchmark moments you know mm. and just and just celebrate this and tell me it's like this is what we're about and they need to be way before they win awards you know you need to be believing in that and and the other thing to say we try to remove luck or favor. We could all tell you, you know, what does it dance on a friction in culture where, you know, there's a there's a sensitivity or a problem or something we can we can speak to? How's it riddled with fame? What about it is gonna get people talking? Why does it make the hairs on your arms stand up? Like there's a checklist of stuff. And that's important because if you know the rules of the game, you can win. Mm. So so that imposter thing slightly goes away because creativity is one of these things that people like to make intangible you know they like to go oh it's you know it's this amorphous creative thing i'm like it's not actually it can be really mechanical if you want it to in a good way no i totally agree i totally because you learn right and that there are there are there has to be rules there's magic in between the rules but the rules are still there and i think that's Um, different to asking permission right i think i think part of the imposter syndrome of checking in of having people to check in with you know is it okay do you think it's a good idea that we celebrate this 
presentation, not needing that permission and getting into the habit of not needing that permission means you're yeah. more out there with kind of more vocal, more obvious, celebrating more things, you know, putting your hand up to more cultural benchmarks that are going on within your own business. Totally. Permission permission's a huge thing in our industry, but we, we in every act, I would argue that Uncommon tried to remove the spirit of asking permission. We don't want to ask permission to win our clients' business. They're lucky to have us. I mean that sincerely. Like, we can choose who we make famous. I'm never going to be sat at a table begging you for your business ever again. This is a relationship where it goes both ways. You would seek us out for the things we do. If that's not what you want. That's great. You know, we ask everybody who comes in the room why they're in the room. And if they sort of go, oh, you know, you're on a list, we, we most often don't work with them. You know, if they say, oh, hey, I read that thing you wrote or saw that thing that Lucy said, or we saw that bit of work, then we can have a conversation because they've got a start point. But, you know, all those things, and that permission goes down to internally, which is nobody here should be asking permission to do anything. They should just be cracking on, you know, and, and the, the whole studio will follow. That's sort of how our, our culture works. One of the things that really shone through everything you said, and I've, I'm finding it really enlightening, actually, is, is your clarity of vision for what you're doing and your people, which is that kind of clarity of vision and purpose, but not just the bland sort of marketing purposey words, but taking it down to quite a sort of base level. And then when you have that kind of mission, it probably does help imposter syndrome because you kind of know where you're going. And an awful lot of it That's comes right. from not really knowing where you're going. That's right. You know, I That's think. right. And, 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 you know, imposter syndrome is also a result of other people's expectations and you yeah. can't quite see, you know, is there a game being played I'm not a part of? All that other weird myth. I think that's right. Thanks for recognising that. When, no, it's um, obvious. Well, I, I think it's the key. I don't think enough places do it. And I, I think it's very mm. honest of you to say you can articulate that for where you are. When we, two things really. There was once a, a brief we got for HSBC business and they wanted us to make a load of ads for, for HSBC business, small, medium-sized businesses. And we wrote work for business people for about a month and it was all shit. And then we wrote work for people. And of course it was good. And I was like, oh fuck, we were writing work for these amorphous other people, these business people, whoever they were. And they weren't real people. I think a lot of advertising and its missions and values are doing the same thing. Like I'm starting this agency and we believe in connected cultural power or what the fuck is that? And why would your mum care, right? So, so our thing was, you know, how do I put something on paper that is our deal that, every, that, that people in the real world, not in an ad agency, would just nod out and go, yeah, that sounds like a decent place. So our whole thing was, you know, this person asked me this question, how do I go from being a brand that sells shit to people to being a brand that people wish existed? And I thought that was an amazing, amazing question. Now, that's a question like your mother would understand. That's a question that, you know, in 20 years, people would understand. It's not riddled with a fucking discussion around purpose or any of that. It's much bigger than that. And I was like, well, never mind you. How do, how do I do that? How do I build a company that is that? And that sounds funny. And then you just work back from that. Now, that's not the only one out there, but you'd be surprised how many of us divorce ourselves from the world as it is. So when we started Uncommon, we were like, well, I'm going to try and start a company for the world, not for the category of advertising. You know, I'm going to make a, a version of events that might one day be spoken about a bit like Pixar or a bit like Heatherwick, that someone would just go, yeah, those guys, they were pretty good for a few years. It's very cool. I don't know what else to ask. No, that's very good, Nils. It's been great. All right, dudes. Thank you, man. See you. See you.
Thank you very much for listening to The Imposterous. Apart from our fine, imposterous guests, none of this would have been possible without the help of the following wonderful frauds. Firstly, Andrew Stevenson at Wheel Up Jam Studios, best music and soundhouse in Australia. Without his help, this would have been a series of WhatsApp messages with emoji responses. And also Hilton Moday, who has graced us with his theme music that you're listening to now. If you would like to catch up on all the other podcasts in the Imposterous series, visit theimposterous.com. Here you can also get in touch with us via email.